If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist-recommended facial moisturizer brand. Take something iconic, like the all-electric 2024 Fiat 500e. Add something electrica. Bring the swagger. And an Italian icon is remixed and ready to drop with its available premium JBL audio system. Tap the banner to learn more. Fiat is a registered trademark of FCA Group Marketing SPA. Used under license by FCA US LLC. that's the great potential of a list like this is to open up avenues of history that maybe aren't part of the sort of general mainstream understanding of history. That was Joanne Poole discussing our poll on 100 women who changed the world. listening to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine. We're the UK's best-selling history magazine, available in print and several digital formats all over the world. Find out more at historyextra.com forward slash subscribe or look out for us in your digital newsstand or app store. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast. I'm Rob Attar, the editor of BBC History Magazine. Earlier this year, we ran a poll where we asked you to vote for the women you felt had made the biggest impact on the world, out of a list of 100 who'd been nominated by 10 expert historians. The results have now come in and were revealed in our September issue and can also be found online at historyextra.com forward slash 100 women results. Topping the vote was Marie Curie, the Polish-born French scientist whose research earned her two Nobel Prizes. She was followed by the American civil rights activist Rosa Parks, the suffragette leader Emmeline Pankhurst, the 19th century mathematician Ada Lovelace and the crystallographer Rosalind Franklin, who played an important role in the discovery of the structure of DNA. There's already been lots of discussion of the results in the press and on social media. 
And in today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be exploring the vote further with a panel of three experts. Putting the questions to them was our deputy editor, Charlotte Hodgman. I'm June Purvis. I'm Professor of Women's and Gender History Emerita at the University of Portsmouth. I'm Dr. Livetta Vitelli, reader in history, and I'm working on colonial and post-colonial history. Dr. Joanne Paul, I'm lecturer in early modern history at the University of Sussex. The poll that we've just released the results for um, saw Marie Curie as number one. Was that a surprise to anybody, do you think? Why do you think she kind of resonated with, with, um, with readers so much? Well, I, I would say that uh, because of the, uh, the publicity and the story about breast cancer, people are aware of uh, mm. Marie Curie, not necessarily about her work as such, but they're aware of her, you know, the result of what she did. Yeah. So no, I'm not surprised at all and happy with the results, actually. <laughs> I, I was surprised, actually, that um, she was selected as the top sort of candidate, but I was delighted that she was because I think she's been very much in the shadows in terms of, of great women who have changed the world. Her influence has been so influential, not only as the first professor at the University of Paris, but all this all this work she did on radium. So what surprised you about the fact that she, she came to talk? Was it because she was a scientist or...? Yes, I think because she was a scientist, and I wonder if Patricia, who nominated her, mm. whether her the people she contacted, whether the science community was very cohesive and thought we've, we've got to have this, this woman there. Because she hasn't, as far as I'm aware, she hasn't had a lot of publicity this year, has mm. she? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah. When uh, we spoke last year about the sort of top 100 list, one of the things we noticed was the influence of television programs or books that had yeah. just come out recently about certain people. And yeah, I'm not aware of that for, for Marie Curie no. either. I, but I think what we see with Marie Curie is this perfect combination of of tangible influence that we can sort of see and think about every day and, and we learn about her in school and we learn about topics related to her in school so people can understand what it is that she's contributed as well as a fantastic story. Mm. And so I think that this sort of Venn diagram, I guess, this overlap of those two things mm. is probably what put her there, but I wouldn't have necessarily predicted it. Okay. I mean, June, you were one of the nominators um, for the poll. Um, you must be quite happy to see Emmeline Pankhurst uh, in the top three. Yes, I was delighted. <laughs> I was very delighted that she was mm. in the top three because she was a woman who did change the world. She had an international status. Um, I'm holding a big conference shortly at Portsmouth and we've got papers from Japan, from the USA, from Canada, from Australia, which look at her influence Um so what she did, in fact, was to say that women shouldn't accept their subordinate station politically. They should stand on their own two feet, develop a backbone and articulate their demand for the vote. So I think she was very influential. Do you think if it hadn't been the centenary of, of the act that gave some women the vote in Britain, do you think she would have come as highly um, in the poll? Is she, yes. Is she a name that people are familiar with anyway? Yes. I mean, if you look at Time magazine 1999, she was elected as the top figure. Um, the Observer uh, elected her as a top figure as well. So I think I expected to see her amongst the top five at least. Mm. Yeah. Any surprises in the list from anybody? What did you think, Olivet? Did you have any surprise entries or omissions even? From oh, I have. <laughs> 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 lots, <laughs> lots and lots of omission. Um, I, 
I was thinking about those sort of women who uh, who are on the news, not necessarily um, seen in a, in a in a great light, but who should who should have made a list. And I'm I'm thinking about. Uh, Um, I think Rigoberta Menchu, who was an activist, South American, because we don't have many people from South America no. or Central America, activists, you know, working for indigenous population, mm. Nobel Prize nominee, and, and she won the prize. Yeah. And another one, I don't necessarily share her ideas, Dilma Rousset, first Brazilian president, and more recently, Aung San Suyi. Mm with a Rohingya question. So I was hoping to see them on the list as well, but yeah. uh, for for other reasons uh, that we would expect, really. Okay. What about you two? Did you have any surprises? I think there were a number of names on there that I'm both, in a sense, sort of shamed, but also very pleased to say that I didn't recognize. I didn't mm. know who they were. Um, and not all of them have I been able to go through and sort of read about them. And I, I, I guess in some sense I'm surprised, but again, very pleased by that, um, that there are names on there that um, maybe a lot of people didn't recognize or didn't know about. And I think the way that this list was put together with the nominations, rather than just people contributing, it allows for that a little bit more. And I think that that's the great potential of a list like this, is to open up avenues of history that maybe aren't part of the sort of general mainstream understanding of history. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised to see Sonia Heaney, the um, skater and film star. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what number she was. Have, have you got it there? Uh, I can have a look. Yeah. Um, um, she was... Where did I see that? Oh, seventy-two. Yeah, 76. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought, gosh, um, who's put her in? Because I, I wouldn't have called her a woman who changed the world. But then perhaps she was influential as an early woman skater, which I... I Quite frankly, I don't know about. Yeah, I think that's the thing to the important thing to remember is that we yeah. asked ten historians. They were each given a category. Yeah, their, their own. You, you that's right. Politics, revolutionaries, and activists. Weren't yeah. They? So they were sort of confined to that. Yeah. Um, that area. Yeah. Um, and we had a sports category. Yeah. Um, so I think these are kind of women who who kind of changed the world. In the sporting world, I suppose. Um, I think. Sorry, if I just can come mm. back to. You, I think the one that actually surprised me the most, um, and has caused all sorts of. I've been doing all sorts of reflection about it, um, and and whether what I think about it. But was the Virgin Mary? <laughs> yes. Um, I think that surprised me the most that that got in there. Um, Because I think with my historian's hat on, and I apologize to my vicar, um, you know, <laughs> my my immediate reaction is evidence um, and and wondering. But on on the other side of it, I think it's a wonderful inclusion because it speaks to something that I feel um, is missing from this list necessarily, which is an understanding of sort of women's movements and and a little bit more of a sort of social cultural history that I think is very important to women's history that can't be represented by a list like this. So actually on on reflection, perhaps it, it is actually a wonderful inclusion, but I, it did strike me immediately when I encountered this list. Yeah. I mean, I suppose... I mean, whatever your thoughts on the Virgin Mary, there's no doubt that she, her influence over history has completely, been phenomenal. Completely, yeah. and, so. and And I wonder if Eve should have been on here too for similar reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and these sorts yeah. of, uh, yeah, his sort of historical, cultural movement and presence rather than necessarily 
evidence of of an individual. And I, I, I think I think that is is something that is actually good to think about in the context of this of this list. Yes, that's really interesting because you say Eve and I think Aisha. Ah, yes, 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 yes. She, she's yeah. in there. And I thought, oh, Eve's not there then. Yeah. You know, I didn't immediately that's think about that yeah. to start with. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. But I think you could connect the Virgin Mary with spirituality, mm-hmm. which um, has always been quite important, I think, in women, women's movements Completely. and very much yeah. under-researched, mm. yes. in fact. Yes. Um, Joanne, you, you um, were one of the, you and Olivet both gave some analysis on, on the list in, in the feature. Um, you noted that most of the top 20 had made sort of history in the last 300 years. Do you think, why do you think there was, there, there are fewer sort of ancient women making a, an appearance in the list? I think it's the further you go back, the harder it is to recover individual women making contributions. Um, And I think that there's a number of reasons for that. You know, in the early modern period, it became more common to sort of subsume a woman underneath um, her her husband or her father um, in official records. So that becomes very, very difficult. Um, We have fewer letters, we have, and so on and so forth. Um, Also, what's what what happens, I think, predominantly in in the early modern period, though, probably um, it's medieval as well, is that... The expectation of women's influence is such that the better that influence is, the more influential mm-hmm. that 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 pressure is, the more invisible it is. Um, and in fact, that was that was successful. For instance, advice giving um, was was that you couldn't recover it. That that it was um, so soft power um, that that we have no record for it. Um, for instance, now, I think th- another factor is. Um, what we recognize to be influence, what we value um, as as a contribution, and this is a worry I have about this list a little bit, is in a sense shaped by a sort of masculine understanding of history, um, that it's politics, um, that it's sport, that it's military, that it's that so on, those sort of quintessential uh, ways of thinking about history, um, whereas a sort of more cultural or artistic, uh, you know, women have changed the world by, by, it sounds frivolous, but by choosing an outfit, right? Women have changed the world by introducing people. Women have changed the world by um, facilitating salons. Women have changed the world in all sorts of ways that are more, I think, difficult to quantify and that tend to fall less into the sphere of sort of traditional history. Um, so that's, sorry, a long <laughs> way of, of saying, I think the further you go back, the more those factors are the case and and the more difficult it is as a historian to recover individual women who aren't taking on traditional male roles. Mm. You know, take the example of of Lady Jane Grey, who I'm thinking about a lot at the moment. We have almost no record for her. She's she's very difficult to find until she becomes Queen of England, Mm. until she takes on a more sort of traditional male role. Then we've got her. Mm. Uh, But until that point, she, she, she might as well not exist. Would you both agree with that? Um, Yes, yes. (laughs) And I would add something else. Um, Because I work on colonial uh, history, things are different. True that we tend to focus on kind of military, male-dominated history. But even then, I'm thinking about Queen Zinga that 
people don't talk much about, who was a diplomat and a military leader yeah. and who fought against the Portuguese. Well, we don't remember her. We remember the Portuguese invasion and colonization and all the historians and all the people who contributed to that. But we don't remember that woman who was in Africa. Mm. Um, why is that? Mm. You know, because there are records and there are things about her, not that many. Yeah. But having said that, I completely agree with you because, uh, yes, women changed the world by choosing outfit. Coco Chanel was only number 30, I think, yeah. I noticed. Or no, it's not. Uh, we had she Est- was Lauder there. I saw, which I saw that. Yes. Yeah. But these are, these women left their imprint in our daily lives. Yeah. And yet they're far at the back because we still consider that it's the, I don't know, maybe the military or maybe the, the ones who had uh, kind of noble, so-called noble uh, influence that matter, mm. matter. So it's, it's, it's a pity, really. Musicians are not, mm. don't feature that much no. in there. And I was incredibly surprised. Uh, but then again, it tells us a lot about what we think is matters at this instant. Do you think that's because we have a perhaps a Western way of looking at history? Um, that's perhaps why this is it Queen Zinga, do you say? Yes. Yeah, um, isn't remembered um, as or known about as much. I think so, because, for example, I was thinking about, I don't know, we talked about Africa, but I'm thinking about um, Ma- uh, Miriam Makeba, who's known as Mama Africa. So she, it's, she, she was a musician, an activist, and in some, in so many ways, a historian as well, mm. writing, documenting all sort of activist movement and joining um, Africa and the States because she married a Black Panther leader. So she brought together all these things with arts, with the arts as well, and jazz in particular. So why is it that, not just her, but why is it that those musicians, those, these women are not featured there? Because they detail stories in different ways, mm. you know. Yeah, I was incredibly mm. happy to see yeah. a lot of women of colour yeah. there. Yeah. So, yeah, yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm I think that's really an important bit. point. You know, there's been a change over the last 10 years to make black women and women of colour much more prominent. And, I mean, I nominated Rosa Parks mm. and I was utterly delighted that she was listed as number two because she was very influential. And she wasn't, a, if I remember correctly, um, she wasn't from an established middle-class family. She was working class. Yeah. And this brave act in 1955 of challenging segregation um, in the South, and that led to the civil rights movement. She lost her job. She had to move her house and everything. Um, so I'm delighted to see her there. Mm-hmm. To go back to a point uh, that you made about you know, we're seeing history in sort of male models. I'm not sure that's entirely true because even if you take people like Emmeline Pankhurst, she she um, led in a different way to most men. She was she was always in the front of the action, but she also brought women with her in a way. And um, you know, I think we've got to remember that. It's very difficult for women to be leaders. Take Thatcher, for example, Margaret mm. Thatcher. Everybody criticizes her as being not bringing women with her, etc. But I think she had to fight a lot of sexism within the Tory party, within Parliament. There are all those criticisms about her clothes and the way she spoke, etc. Um, so I think it is difficult for a woman to to have a leadership role. Mm. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. 
you may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When we look back, when we look at women's history, do you think that there's kind of an argument that we should be looking at achievements and what they did well, rather than from a gender perspective and kind of irrespective of their gender, look at women in history as what they did. Do you think that's a good way of looking at women's history? Or do you think that then we run the risk of um, sort of not appreciating the struggles that they went through um, as women, perhaps in a, in a, a man, what was then a man's world? <laughs> I'm laughing because I read one of the comments here from a guide. That's what, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought, well, I can understand where he's coming from, but he's not a woman. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a lot of these women went through fights to get to where they were as women, so you can't just ignore it. No. And um, that's my view anyway. Mm. Yeah. I think it varies by context. You know, I think... You know, there are certain fields, um, I mean, you go back far enough and all of the fields are difficult as a woman. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I think, you know, I think that there are certain fields for which um, is more or less difficult. It's difficult in different ways. Um, Add in, of course, the difficulties um, faced by women of color or um, I'm not sure we really got into um, with this list um, uh, women expressing themselves in, in different sexualities or, or you know, the, the, the difficulties of just sort of existing on the margins in, in various, various different ways. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I'm always, I'm always dubious of sort of hard and fast rules. Either, either we take it into account or we don't take it into account. I think it is something that we have to think about in, in context. And often it is the further back you go, the, the harder it is, um, I think, for women to sort of emerge to, to to break in and I think what we've got to remember you know if you look at women's history in England um it really started off with Sheila Rowbottom's book Hidden from History 300 years of women's oppression um and so it's relatively recent you know it wasn't until the 1970s and beyond that 
people have started to research women's history, particularly feminist historians. And there was a concern to document the lives of the less famous working class women, uh, women working in factories, in laundries, uh, working class women in political movements like, like the suffrage movement, the trade union movement. So there has been that concern to find voices and also to change the representation of women because if you look at a lot of the male-centered, male-dominated history, women were present usually in their relation to men mm. as wives um, of famous men, you know, or mothers of famous men or mistresses, etc. Um, so I think that has been a big challenge and there is a lot of research now um, on these other women who are agents in their own right. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, sorry, just on that as well, I think increasingly we're seeing a lot of research as well looking at the agency of, of maybe this sounds like a dismissive term, of, of everyday women, yeah, right? Sure. The way that women used systems that were designed to oppress them yeah. in order to express their own agency or yeah. to find loopholes in them or or to reject them in ways that still allowed them to sort of live everyday lives within society and to me I find I find that particularly interesting that it isn't this isn't about exceptionalism yeah. right this isn't about a hundred women who uh, managed to do it and everyone else just sort of went with patriarchy, <laughs> right? And I think, I think that that is, there are, there are women for whom that was true, of course, but I think that the more sort of social history research that people are doing is discovering the little ways in which women express themselves and express their agency and lived sort of their own individual powerful lives. Mm. Yes, and uh, if I might um, add something, is that one of the comments I made is precisely that a lot of these women actually, top 10, a lot of them took other women with them. Mm -hmm. We don't yeah. hear about these women, but they were there, yeah. you know, supporting yeah. and working together. So Definitely. And that's often a consensual style of leadership, yeah. which often men are out in, in the front. But, um, but you do find both styles of leadership in, in women's movements. Behind every great woman is a whole host of other amazing exactly. women. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. Um, what, do you think polls like this are helpful for women's history? So for myself, I think I think it is helpful. You know, um, like like a lot of instances of of sort of public popular history, they're gateways, um, they're they're introductions, they're invitations. I think is is a way of thinking about it. I think the the worry comes when um, you know, we take a series of of important women and say that that is women's history, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, women's history is is a lot richer, and and as I say, it has has a lot to do, I think, more with these sort of, or not more, but also has aspects of these movements and um, these these the, the social history of of the everyday and uh, of culture and and of other other ways of thinking about history than the sort of traditional great woman <laughs> um, history. Um, so I, I, I think it's great. Um, I think it's a start. The other thing about the list is that it engages the public. Mm. And I think that's a very, very important thing. And you get, you know, responses back and, and you could see at least um, from the people who filled in the form what is going on. So you think there is that interest in women's history out there? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I just get inundated with emails about the suffragette movement. I get them from Canada, from Australia, from the USA or whatever. I can't answer them all. I try to answer some of them, but... Mm. And will you come and talk about this or will you do five minutes in this film, you know? It's just... there. There is an awful lot of interest, particularly this year when we're celebrating the centenary of some women getting the vote in 1918. And I think, once again, it's feminist historians who have pioneered that research into lesbian, bisexual, um, transgender now um, people. Well, yeah, we were talking, I think, just before we started recording about the move from from, uh, women's studies into gender studies and the way in which what started as an attempt to recover women's history has thought very deeply and I think in very important ways about femininity, masculinity and 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 the construction of gender and the construction of sexuality in all sorts of ways that I think have been extremely pivotal, not only to the study of history, but to the way we think about those things today yeah. as well. Um, so do you think... You know, if you're a historian of, of women's history, um, are you then immediately sort of labelled a feminist? And is there is there kind of are there dangers in kind of writing um, women's history or, or, or worries that you have writing women's history? Label as a feminist, <laughs> it's not an insult. No, at no, all. no. But yeah. it's, it's you're automatically, you know, that's what people you are given a label. You're not just a, a historian of women's history. I think. I think so. It's it's. I think it's less about labeling, although maybe that's that's, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> well, no, I, I think I think so for me it's it's an issue of sort of pigeonholing yes, or yeah. and and a dismissiveness that comes with a sometimes in certain fields a woman doing women's history from certain sorts of people mm-hmm. um that that I have come across and that um as someone starting out worried me a lot. Um, it's increasingly worrying me less. Um, but I think that that comes from a position of, of privilege and having a job and um, publishing some books and, and everything else, um, especially within my field, which is intellectual history, um, aka history of political thought, which is extremely male-dominated, always has been, hopefully won't always be, um, and the subject matter of which is traditionally Male. If you look at the canon in intellectual history, it's men, 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 many men, men. Wollstonecraft, more men. <laughs> Hannah Arendt, um, and that's that is that is the canon. Um, and so, starting out, I felt well. You know, I really would love to work on I don't know Christina Pizan or some of the amazing women writing in in the Renaissance. And there's there's so many of them. And if you're interested in that, the uh, What's it, is it the the other voice in early modern Europe series is fantastic, and there's a whole host of books written um, in the Renaissance by women that they've they've published. Um, and if I wanted to do any of that, I felt I had to publish on Machiavelli and Hobbes first, um, or else I didn't have a seat at a at, at a very important table um, that I wasn't able to talk about. You know the white dead guys um, that. That somehow, yeah, marginalized, pushed me, excluded me away from the mainstream conversations. Um, and I think that that's a dangerous thing and that's a very negative thing. Rather, it should be that if I'm working on Christina Pisano or, or whoever else and Dowrich, 
Wollstonecraft, whoever it might be, that should be then brought to the main table mm-hmm. instead of going off in a side room somewhere, yeah. metaphorically speaking. Um, and and so I think that's something that can be a difficulty in in certain fields. Um, certainly my own. I don't know. I don't know about others. I mean, I'm I'm chair of the Women's History Network, and we have about four hundred members, and we have a conference every year. And most of those people there, I think, have struggled to to get women's history onto the curriculum. Yeah. I mean, it's different for me. I, I have the title Professor of Women's and Gender History, so and I'm older than the, some of you young ones <laughs> studying, starting out. I mean, I have no difficulty with being identified as a feminist historian. Um, and feminist historians, I think, have paved the way yeah. for women's oh, yeah. history in this country. What is interesting to me as editor of Women's History Review is that we publish a lot of articles on a wide variety of topics, but it is now becoming less feminist, I think, women's history. But even the the very act of making some women visible, I think, is, is a feminist act. So, you know, it doesn't worry me. In, in that way. Oh, so, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think women's history is diversifying. Another thing we may want to consider, it's not only historians who write women's history now. You have got literary scholars mm-hmm. coming in, cultural studies, um, uh, you know, a whole lot of people from other disciplines. And I think that is good because it enriches it. Yes, I would agree with you. Sociologists are doing a lot yes. of yeah. work on women's history. Yeah. And as for being pigeonholed, well, I've, I've <laughs> I have been pigeonholed <laughs> and I'm used to being pigeonholed and uh, it just doesn't stop me. So, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you think we're going to reach a sort of saturation point with topics like the Tudors and we're going to start seeing... We're after, start after I publish my book, <laughs> then, then we can that. do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, then that's fine. And then perhaps we'll, we'll, we will see more of these sort of stories, you know, becoming sort of bigger and, and more noticeable. No, I'm <laughs> interested in in all that because, for example, Elizabeth I is not there. No. And no. many people are really regretting it. And I regret it. Why? Because it's still part of colonial history that we don't yeah. talk about. You know, she did uh, mm. lend her one of her ships to uh, Hawkins to go and, and, and get, uh, you know, captives, uh, African captives. Well, I would have liked to see her there so that we can start that conversation as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, she, that is one of the, one of the, we've had a lot of people commenting that, you know, where is Elizabeth I? Yes. Um, and I, I think that was a, a deliberate omission, I think, by yeah. Susanna. I think she yeah. was, I think perhaps, <laughs> perhaps it was, you know, perhaps... We do talk about Elizabeth I so much, but then, like you say, on the other hand, having her inclusion would would then open other stories yes. as well. Yes, you know these are names that we've grown up with. You know, they're ta- you're taught from primary school. You're taught about the Tudors, Henry VIII, and his wives. You know, is it is this kind of maybe we need more of a to broaden history at a young level mm. to kind of get other histories told? I think you know I, we we discussed this a little bit last year mm. as as well um, when when we were talking with um, Greg Jenner, and I mean I think absolutely a lot of it has to do with school teaching. And one of the things um, that has struck me as as someone who teaches them right after they they come from school <laughs> is um, how well versed and how interested um, so many students that I get in first year are in Russian history. Um, which to me isn't, you know, you, you don't see it around as much as something like the tutors or anything like that. But because they've started learning it in school in a fairly sort of concentrated fashion, um, it's something that they're very, very 
interested in. So I think that that does have a lot of power. Momentarily in defense of the Tudors. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there there are, I think, a lot of reasons why it is such a captivating period. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with um, its, its context, its moment in time in the Renaissance as well, um, and the way in which that leads to certain sort of topics and discussions in that period. Um, and one of the, the you know, the elephant in the room, as you said, is sort of Elizabeth I, why isn't she here? I responded to that with, well, Anne Boleyn, actually, to me, I think if we're looking for sort of influence, um, is, 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 another, is another contender, actually. And not because, you know, she seduced the King of England, but because she was an intelligent woman who... Um, did certain things with a very short queenship and, and so on and so forth, as well as, of course, giving birth to Elizabeth I um, herself. But um, I, I think with this list, it is quite good that we do get away from the Tudors. I think it, it provides opportunities to talk about other periods. But there is, there is still work to be done in that period, as you were saying, um, ways of thinking about this period in different ways that maybe take into account a sort of post-colonial discourse that maybe think about women's history is not just big women like mm. Elizabeth I, mm. but think about certain things that happened during the Tudor period, uh, the way in which actually um, women, if we want to think about straight lines of progress, which we probably shouldn't, but um, to simplify it, there was a step back um, in 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 this period for, for women and, and how independent they could be and what they could do and, and the roles that they were assigned in that period to do with the Reformation and, and various other things. Um, so I think that there's still work to be done there as well as thinking about other periods of history. Well, I think, sorry, go on. I was going to say, I think you've also got to look at the context of history as taught in our universities. It's expensive um, to do a history degree or any degree and, of course, all this emphasis now on employability, uh, as far as I can make out, you know, applications for history are declining. Um, and that has profound implications, I think, for, for what is studied mm -hmm. as well, well as for women's history. Mm. Yeah. I was about to say uh, many students all over the country are very receptive to different history than the Tudors, yes. actually. And I see across, well, in our department, various history, the spies, colonial history, they're actually open to learning something else. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a demand for alternative perspectives yeah. to history, I think, especially amongst students. You know, um, I mean, if anybody is, is going to want alternative, non-mainstream stuff, it's probably going to be 18 and 19-year-olds, right? And so I think that there is an opportunity there to be creating different sort of courses and, and creating, therefore, um, an audience for a very different sort of history in, in magazines like this. Yeah. I, I was recently at a big women's history conference in Vancouver, and one of the themes that came up there, particularly from the people giving papers, was that there was greater gender fluidity, fluidity rather, uh, amongst students, younger students coming in today. So I think that may sort of push mm -hmm. some of these marginalised areas much more into research. Mm -hmm. But, of course, don't forget, you know, universities have been 
very criticised at the moment. There's less recruitment of younger people coming in. Um, and so they've got all these influences, I think, shaping what is studied and what is popular in women's history. Um, if we were to do, say, this this poll again in, say, 50 years' time, if the magazine's still going, um, do you think we'd see the same sorts of women on the list or do you think we're going to see, like, a whole, you know, where you know, well, where would you like, you know, where would you like this sort of thing to go? Where would you like to see women's studies in, in the next sort of 50 years or so? I mean, my, my initial reaction, and I may rethink this, is I would love it if no one who's on the list this this year would be maybe in 50 years time they could again but mm. you know if this were done in in next year or in in three or five years time I would love to sort of say okay we acknowledged all these women off they go whole new hundred mm. um and I, I think that that would be the sort of most beneficial and interesting way of of doing something like this um is 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 just to wipe it clean and say there's there's plenty of women we, we don't need to go to the same ones um let's talk about a whole new hundred no i tend i tend to disagree with yeah. that i think there's some evergreens here <laughs> uh, if, can i use that word uh, who will will reappear in another 50 years but i think you'll find much more emphasis upon um bisexual mm -hmm. women lesbian women i think that sexuality focus uh, will come through. Um, but the other Greens will still always be there. Mary Wollstonecraft, Emmeline mm. Pankhurst, you know, some of these these big figures. Well, I did think that it was Anglo, Anglophone mostly mm. yes, list. Yes. Yeah. That, that's why, for example, the first one, um, Marie Curie, mm. uh, for example, there are schools. I wasn't surprised at all because there are schools, you know, streets or all sort of things in Paris about her. So as far as the list is concerned, I would agree with the other green ones. But what I would like to see really is um, those so-called ordinary women who actually shaped the world. Um, can I can I just say one? one of course, yeah. yeah. Actually <laughs> I was thinking about uh, these African-American women who we've seen, uh, whose stories have been, uh, has been, um, um, how should we say, filmed with hidden hidden stories, hidden history. What is it? Hidden, hidden, hidden figures. Yes. Catherine, I mean, Catherine uh, Johnson, Dorothy, Dorothy Vaughan and Mary uh, Jackson. Mm -hmm. NASA, engineers, yeah. mathematicians. Well, I would love to see those stories. Yeah. Really, really, all of them in all, all sort of areas. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I hate to sort of say the same same again, but, you know, I'd love an opportunity to see sort of movements or groups of women being included um, so that it isn't just the individuals. Um, because I think, especially going back, that's either all one can recover or that was simply the way that it was historically, that that it was it was a group. Um, and to to take one person out of that group or try to identify somebody in a group is, is not necessarily going to capture it you know I'm thinking about sort of riots and revolutions in the early modern period um, that were incredibly important and often led by women you know some of these bread riots and, and so on and so forth um, and put a lot of pressure on politics and, and changed things but you're going to struggle to pick one woman out of that crowd mm -hmm. um, even to give her a name let alone say ah she was she was responsible in in some way um, so, so some opportunity to think about that, I think, 
um, would also, I think, lead us into a bit more of what women's history, at least to me, sort of represents. And you've got this movement as well in history, much more pronounced in the US, USA than here, towards international history, transnational history. And, you know, a lot of the conferences I go to, particularly in the USA, there's much more of up there than, than we find here. So it, global history, you know, it, it is developing slowly. That was Joanne Poole, Olivette Otelli and June Purvis talking about our 100 Women Who Changed the World poll. And as I mentioned at the start, you can read more about it in the September issue of BBC History magazine, which is on sale now. Plus, there's additional content on our website at historyextra.com forward slash 100 women results. And do look out for some videos from this panel discussion, which will be appearing on historyextra.com soon. Meanwhile, Olivette Otelli is going to be one of the speakers at our History Weekend in Winchester in October. For more details of this and our event in York, please visit historyweekend.com. And we've now come to the end of today's episode, but we'll be back on Monday to discuss Scottish and Catalan nationalism over the centuries. Thanks for listening to this History Extra podcast, which was produced by Jack Fletcher. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing podcast at historyextra.com and we might read out your messages in future editions. Alternatively, why not keep in touch via Twitter or Facebook, where you'll find us at History Extra. For more great history content, don't forget to visit our website, historyextra.com, which is full of history articles, quizzes, image galleries and more. Plus, it's where you can download hundreds of previous episodes of this podcast. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.